Matthew 5, verse 38 through 42. These are God's words. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Lord Jesus is continuing to teach his disciples what it means that their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees in order for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, of course, that means that Jesus himself and his obedience, his sacrifice taking away our sin, that he himself is our only right standing with God. But this is not talking about right standing, it is talking about right condition, what we must be made like in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is showing that he himself and his authority and his word establish for us the righteousness to which we should strive and the righteousness that when he has finished his work in us, he will have formed in us so that we will enter. And so we read and hear these things, looking for the correction to what comes from our flesh, looking for the correction to what comes from false teaching that we might hear, even in the church, just as this was originally a correction to false teaching that they had heard in church. And so he says again, you have heard that it was said, and he quotes from something that appears in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this was a judicial regulation uh, that described or taught that the punishment ought to fit the crime, uh, that especially for uh, inflicting a penalty for harm done to another, the punishment ought to fit the crime so that there would be uh, clear and righteous justice in the judicial system that God gave to Israel. And this clear and righteous justice would free uh, any individual from taking revenge. It ought to free him from feeling the need to take revenge. Uh, but uh, even if he was not delivered internally, even if he did not take to heart uh, the point that God had made by putting retribution into the hands of the magistrate, even if he didn't take that to heart, he could at least see that he was not given the jurisdiction uh, to avenge himself. Uh, and so they had taken this, uh, this principle that is taught several times, and they had actually turned it inside out. They had turned it upside down uh, as a verse that justified revenge or justified feeling vengeful. Just like after the sermon tomorrow, we will sing Psalm 109a, which is a psalm in which the psalmist is talking about how he loves his enemies, but in return for his love, he receives hate, and how his enemies uh, accuse him and attack him verbally, but in uh, in return for their accusing and attacking him, he's 
praying for them. And he does lay hold of the justice of God, that the justice of God is full and fearful. And yet the fact that God is the one who takes vengeance enables him to love his enemies, just like the end of Romans 12 teaches us. But there are some who take imprecatory psalms, cursed psalms, and teach that the presence of these psalms in the Bible um, is uh, an opportunity for and uh, justifies, vindicates uh, us to feel vengeful in our spirits. It's okay for you to to think and feel vengeful and revengeful against those who mistreat you. Look here in the Bible. Uh, but it's exactly opposite what those psalms are teaching. Just like these verses that the scribes had used to say, it's okay, you are perfectly uh, justified. It's perfectly legitimate to feel vengeful in your spirit to those who have injured you. Uh, it's exactly opposite uh, what Exodus uh, and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy uh, were teaching. So Jesus answers, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. That is not to retaliate against an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Uh, here the Lord Jesus is describing uh, not merely a physical attack, but something that is that is even more uh, attacking and that is the insult of a backhand to the right cheek. There were uh, different physical, physical attacks. The, the scribes had uh, a catalog of the different values that you could require as penalty out of someone who had done uh, something to you. Uh, and taking this backhand to the right cheek was uh, actually quite high on the list. Uh, because it was not just, it was not physically harming so much as it was uh, insulting, insulting their honor. And one of the things that we see throughout this passage is that Jesus answers the scribes as justifying our being uh, bitter and uh, revengeful and hot with self-interest in our hearts. He answers with exactly the opposite. He says that we are to entrust our honor to God, entrust, or entrust our dignity uh, to God, that we are to entrust our rights to him, that we are to entrust our liberty to him, and that we are to entrust our prosperity to him. And so the picture in verse 39 is someone who thinks he's really taken you down. He's taken away uh, your dignity and expects that uh, that you are quite humiliated, but you are not embarrassed at all because you are already humble. You are already lowly before God. You have a dignity that belongs to him. You're not trying to make everyone else recognize how dignified you are. Uh, and so he has taken nothing from you by the apparent insult. You are that meek one who inherits the earth. And in fact, when you get persecuted or uh, or uh, abused, misused for Christ's sake, you are blessed and you are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. 
And so here he is. He thinks he's delivered the great insulting blow, and you're completely unfazed. In fact, you've only got one cheek left. You've only got one. Uh, he's. Uh, you've got fifty percent of the your opportunity for being blessed in this way and being identified as an heir of all the earth uh, in this way. Uh, and so you turn to him the other cheek. Uh, and how horrifying that would be to the one who really thinks he's he's uh, delivered uh, a great blow and discovers that he has fairly well done nothing to you. And that he hasn't been able to take your dignity. He hasn't been able to intimidate you. There's actually great strength in having a dignity that belongs to Christ that is unassailable on earth. And it truly, 2,000 years of the history of Christian persecution has borne that out. Many a persecutor has been frustrated and even afraid when he has done things to Christians that he really thought would uh, would bring them to their knees and make them turn from their faith. And they were peaceful, even cheerful, even pleading with the persecutor to be saved from himself, from this horrible thing that he's doing to himself. And how surprising that has been, and sometimes, sometimes even used by God to convert the persecutor. And so the uh, Lord Jesus here isn't saying... Uh, you can be a holy punching bag. Uh, he is teaching the the same thing that the law was teaching, that God has attached a dignity to us that he himself will vindicate, and that we need not have a hot, vindictive spirit within ourselves if we are entrusting ourselves to him. So we entrust our dignity or our honor to Christ. We also instruct our rights to Christ, this is going to be a very difficult text for anybody who has remaining flesh. That would be all of us on earth. Uh, but especially in America, uh, hardly has there ever been in the history of the world an entire people, all of whom insisted on their rights. But in this case, uh, he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, and the idea here isn't that you've actually done something in which you owe him your tunic. Uh, although in that case, uh, the principle would also apply. But uh, this is a case in which your rights are being infringed upon, where he uh, either uh, is making a false case uh, and is tricking the judge or the judge is in cahoots with him. They're colluding together and they're going to take something away from you. Uh, and your rights are being trampled on. Well, you have. Uh, rights with God, and uh, and He will avenge. Very similar principle to in verses uh, to in verse thirty nine, uh, and He says, uh, if if in God's good providence, evil men are going to uh, evilly, sinfully take away your right to this one thing, then be prepared for the other to occur too. Let let Him have. Your uh, your cloak as well, if that happens. And <coughs> in this case, uh, it's uh, it's actually a situation that the tunic and the cloak would be all you had. You would be left naked. Uh, and so uh, we must read and understand how the Lord Jesus is teaching this as a correction to the idea, the spirit uh, that was taught by the scribes and the Pharisees 
if we try and make this instead of a great lesson in how we are to think and feel and respond uh, differently than scribes and Pharisees do, uh, and we make it a very narrow, small lesson about the particular thing to do in a specific situation, uh, you would end up with uh, people who actually uh, strip themselves naked whenever someone was going to sue them. That obviously is not what verse 40 is teaching. Uh, but what verse 40 is teaching uh, is that we should not be so shaken when the wicked of the world combine with the imperfect and often wicked justice system that we see in the world uh, to take away our rights, to take away that which is rightfully ours, that then too we entrust ourselves uh, to God who judges justly, and that we uh, we don't cling tightly uh, to what we have in this world. We have much greater rights that will be perfectly maintained forever. Now, it, it, we should be careful to notice that uh, in each of these situations in our passage, it's talking about if something happens to you, uh, we actually are to love our neighbor uh, as ourselves and even ahead of ourselves. This does not mean to be okay with someone taking away the dignity of your neighbor or the rights of your neighbor or the liberty of your neighbor, or the prosperity of your neighbor, uh, that there is actually a duty to uh, to love them and stand up for them, and particularly the neighbors in your own home. Uh, when, a, when a man gets married and he takes his wife as his nearest neighbor and his nearest sister, and then the Lord gives him uh, sons and daughters to be his nearest neighbors and brothers and his nearest neighbors and sisters. He has a duty to them that is not out of personal vindictiveness or personal vengeance, uh, but is out of love for neighbor. And yet, as as it touches us, and uh, particularly in cases where it's not something that we need, uh, this attaches to something that, that we would need. You know, if he's taking your tunic and your cloak, but if, if you have a wife or a child who is struggling with a vindictive or, or a spirit or has been shaken in an unnecessary way, is not trusting in the Lord, uh, they should both see their husband and father uh, championing for them, and yet not as one who is desperate or in despair or anxious but also teaching the wife, teaching the children, leading the wife and the children, entrusting in the Lord and committing their case together to, to God, uh, not thinking that the husband or the father will be able in every case to vindicate dignity or right or liberty or, uh, or property. Uh, and so, uh, not putting in our, not putting ourselves or our dear ones in a place where we are uh, teaching them like the scribes were teaching the Jews. So we entrust our honor to Christ, or our dignity to Christ. In verse 39, we entrust our rights to Christ. Verse 40, we entrust our liberty to Christ. <coughs> verse 41, whoever compels you, this is forces you by authority to go one mile, go with him too. Uh, now this is where we get the word mile from, although... 
our mile is a little bit uh, longer, uh, but under the Roman uh, Empire, uh, one of the occupied peoples could be forced by a Roman soldier to carry any burden 1,000 paces. And so this is actually something that uh, that they were familiar with. Roman soldier, hey you, Jew, uh, carry this a 1,000 paces. And it probably wouldn't be something uh, light either. It would be an unpleasant thing. This is actually the, the language in verse 41 is used with uh, Simon of Cyrene, who was forced to carry Jesus' cross for him uh, under this law, under this statute. Well, you can imagine that a Roman soldier is accustomed to these Jews counting exactly to a thousand. And as soon as they get to a thousand, they set the thing down and go. But how odd would it be for them? They they have impinged upon the liberty of one of these occupied people, and they get to 999, a thousand, thousand and one, thousand and two, eleven hundred thirty-five, twelve hundred seventeen, and this gives uh, this gives one of the opportunity for uh, obeying First Peter three, which says to give an answer, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. If this was ever actually particularly obeyed, uh, you could imagine the soldier at some point saying, Jew, why are you still carrying this? And answering, well, you gave me an opportunity to serve. And my king is not like your king who lords it over others. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you are impinging upon my liberty in one way, but you're also giving me a, an opportunity to serve as my king does. Uh, and so I feel quite honored that I could be abused like he was. And uh, the opportunity you might have, and even if you don't have that opportunity to say it out loud, you still have the opportunity to feel it in your heart. If Christians are like Christ, they are always looking around for opportunities to serve. And <laughs> if that opportunity comes by somebody who's really overreaching as far as uh, as their authority goes, then still it comes in God's good providence to us, and we would be glad to serve rather than always insisting upon our independence and upon our liberty. Uh, because that's a spirit that doesn't just uh, lead to uh, misery under uh, authority that is overreached, but it's also a spirit that leads to uh, violating the fifth commandment. You can see in your own life how if you're always watching for an opportunity to serve and then daddy asks you to do something or mommy asks you to do something, uh, instead of saying, why? Instead, you would jump up and you would do it and you would do it right away and cheerfully. And what's the one in the middle? All the way. Not just one mile, but two miles. And your mom or your dad would see that. And because they are not like the Roman soldier who doesn't know Jesus, they would know, aha, they're trying to be like their king who came not to be served, but to serve. And we thank God for the grace at work in your heart to do that. And so we're to entrust our dignity to Christ. We're to entrust our rights to Christ. We're to entrust our liberty to Christ. We're to entrust our prosperity to Christ. 
So we're not only looking out for opportunities to serve, verse 41, we would be looking for opportunities to be generous, verse 42. This is the opposite of someone who is is wary of and trying to avoid situations in which they might take a financial hit because somebody else was needy. Uh, now, we are much removed from uh, from several things already in this passage, uh, but perhaps most of all, the situation in verse 42 where uh, almost that entire society uh, had to work full-time just to survive. It was uh, subsistence uh, living, what we now call the poverty line is ordinary life for everyone but a king, uh, everyone but a nobleman or a, royal, or a royalty uh, at the time. And so there would be many who, having lived in that way, would come to through some medical hardship or uh, some financial setback, maybe a medical hardship to someone else in their family, uh, and how easily you could be brought to the place of borrowing or begging. Uh, and so... Uh, generally speaking, this is not describing people who would take advantage, although certainly there would have been in a society in which borrowing and begging were common. Uh, there would have been those who might take advantage, and of course the the grumbling and stingy of heart would be continuously suspecting everyone of just trying to take advantage. But here you're looking for the opportunity to be generous. Like your Savior, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, uh, do not turn away, uh, which uh, the beggar, of course, would be accustomed to, uh, and yet you have uh, Peter and John uh, quite literally obeying this in Acts chapter 3, is there's the man who's uh, lame, who's paralytic, who's begging, uh, they tell him, look at us. They don't turn away from him, and he's accustomed to people turning away. And so he looks expectantly. He thinks that you're going to give him something. Uh, and, of course, they command his healing in the name of Christ because they don't have silver and gold to give to him. So they give to him what they have. Uh, and we uh, may not always have with us, but we always have the gospel. Uh, even if we have uh, nothing that we can give financially, you know, we might be able to take the person's name, pray for them uh, at that point, uh, or uh, or otherwise we can we can give to them uh, who ask. Uh, in our culture, uh, we have ways, abilities of giving. Uh, that are less harmful. It takes some wisdom. Uh, we don't want to harm the one uh, who is asking from us, particularly because there are so many things to spend on now uh, that people uh, do instead of uh, instead of food and drink. So again, to be careful against making a um, uh, obediences uh, to a specific outward. Uh, and not first and foremost receiving the the instruction about the principle and then following through. It doesn't mean it's only principle. Uh, principles are are uh, not really principles without action, but following through in a way that is consistent with the principle 
and not just unthinkingly harming people in order to feel good about uh, our action, uh, which also happens too. But here, not to be closed-fisted, closed-hearted, stingy of heart, but just like in in verse 39, uh, willing to uh, to suffer shame for Christ, or uh, in verse 40, willing uh, to give up our rights, uh, or verse 41, willing to, looking for opportunities for service. Also then, verse 42, looking for opportunity for generosity, uh, and not watching out uh, for occasions where we might... Uh, where we might lose something. After all, the Lord feeds us, the Lord gives us to drink, the Lord clothes us, uh, as we're going to be hearing also in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and if just now he's given us opportunity to be generous with what he's given us, we must not live as or act as if the Lord's generosity with us is, is done and and we have to hold on tightly to, to what we have. Uh, he who has given us what we have now and has given us opportunity to be generous, uh, will continue to take care of us. Uh, even if he brings us to a place where we become someone else's opportunity to be generous. But uh, as in the other things, we must entrust our prosperity uh, also to Christ. You know, many of us uh, say we do, we can part with these material things at any time. Well, uh, there's an easy way to prove that, and that is to actually be generous to give uh, when there's uh, when there's genuine need. So let us uh, pray and ask the Lord that rather than our hearts being conformed to our original fleshliness, which definitely was what was shaping the way the scribes read the Bible, uh, that our hearts would be conformed instead to Christ, uh, and that we would read and understand and respond to his word the way that he teaches. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me, my wife, my children, to have this steadiness and strength and sweetness and service and generosity of spirit that you teach us here by your son, that he himself is a perfect example to us. Grant that, that we would read and understand your word rightly as he teaches us to do, uh, and that uh, your spirit would use it to produce in us a reflection of his character, since it is his word and your word by your spirit. Work in us according to that word as well by your same spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.